So, it says, therefore, putting, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the anger, or do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Jesus, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you so much for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness toward us, Lord. And we just ask you, Spirit of God, to speak to us this morning, Lord. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to your church. We pray that you would be glorified in these next few moments, Lord God. And we ask you, dear Lord, that we would not just be idle hearers of your word, that we would not just check the list of our spiritual to-do list, but God, that today that we would hear your word, that we would hear your heart, and that we would respond in faith, obeying the truths, Lord God. Holy Spirit, you are the one that searched the hearts of men, and so we ask you, search us. Reveal to us how we are to respond, and grant us the grace to do so. We give you all praise, and we give you all glory. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so first of all, if you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. We want to make sure that you get an outline. If you don't have an outline, we have a couple of hands that are raised. If you don't, we want to make sure you get one. For those of you that may be with us for the first time today, um, can we just give our guests a hand? Can we give our guests a hand? We thank you so much for being here today. But for those of you that are here for the first time, we just want to encourage you, and the reason why we do hand, have these handouts is because, one, we want you to be able to take notes. It's very important that you'll be able to follow along in the sermon, write notes, and think about some things that will be spoken of today. But secondly, it's that that way we can communicate with one another regarding the sermons. We do those in our small groups. We call them Connect Life Groups. And if you are not part of a Connect Life Group, we definitely encourage you to become part of one. We have ones that meet throughout the week, and we discuss the sermons, and so so you can see Pastor Chad, who was the um, pastor who led our communion time, and he'll be back up here after I'm done preaching to lead us as we give our, our tithes and our offerings. But that is very important to us. There's something else that I want to say, and I always forget to say this every week, and I welcomed our guests, but I want you to, re want you to re um, realize something for our guests. It is that you have this thing that's called this guest information card, and this is so very important to me especially because I want to personally be able to thank you at least one time. Say one time through an email, and I want to be able to send you a thank you, and that's all I want to do. I'm not going to spam you. I'm not going to add you to an email list. I'm not going to sell your email to someone or nothing like that. Nothing like that's going to happen. I'm simply going to send you an email saying thank you for being with us and letting you know that we appreciate you being here and also give you opportunity to share some feedback. You might have had some thoughts, good experience, bad experience, something that you want to share with us, and as well, you can respond and give us some prayer requests that you may have, but here's the reason why this is so important, because number one, if you don't put your email address, guess what I can't? do. I can't email you, right? So uh, obviously, please put your email address down there. And then the second thing is make sure that um, about Tuesday, if you haven't gotten an email from me, check your spam folder, okay? 
because I know I send a lot of emails and, that, and I never get a response, and it's because it went to someone's spam folder and they didn't even realize that they got it. And so I want to make sure that you get the communication. So now, moving on to the most important business of the day, glory to God, is our memory verse. How many of y'all have memorized our memory verse, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3? All right, we got a few more hands up this week, glory to God. Okay, okay. So, so since they both gave me the look, I'm going to invite them both up here today, glory to God. So we're going to ask Dr. Mia. Coleman Baker to come up here. You don't, you don't feel good? You, you, it's okay. We'll listen to your version and then her version. You have which one? You have to go first? Okay. All right. So she's, she's going to go first. But we do this every week. And I didn't, I didn't give it open because the young people have been bogarting, right? They've been taking over the platform every week. And they've been doing an amazing job. So here's the microphone. You do? Yes, they need you on the mic. No. Thank you. I'll hold it for you. You want me to hold it? I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner of worthy of the calling for which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing love for one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, Bond of peace. Bond of peace. Amen. 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 Come on, give her a hand. Now, Dr. Baker, she's going to lead us in our version. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I learned that one. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, oh, Lord. Beseech you. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy in the calling in which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness. With long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There we go. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. All right. Praise the Lord. All right, so next week we'll have another opportunity for someone else. I'm not going to call anyone else out, but I'm hoping that some adults will do it. So let's all say it together. So one, two, three. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. Come on. Sound beautiful when you read in unison there. So we are going to continue on in our series in the book of Ephesians. We are talking about walk worthy, walking worthy. And so that's what we want to deal with. We want to deal with walking worthy of the calling with which we have been called. We have all as children of God been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of the kingdom of God. And we have been called into fellowship, into relationship with Jesus. We've been called to be representatives and ambassadors of Christ. And so when the Bible calls us to walk worthy, God is calling us to walk in a manner that says, I have been redeemed by the gospel. I've, re I've been redeemed by Jesus. I belong to him. And so I, we represent Jesus in a certain way. And it's not just living our lives the way that we want to live. And so that's what we're focusing on. And so we started in, in, and we went through the beginning, the first few chapters. The first three chapters, they deal with what? They deal with the indicatives of the gospel. 
They remind us of what Jesus has done for us. They remind us of who Jesus says that we are. They remind us that God does some amazing things. And then chapter 4, which is where our memory verse is, is when it transitions from the indicatives of the gospel, which is what the Bible says God has done. You could never do for yourself. I could never do for myself. The only one who could save us, deliver us, set us free is who? Jesus himself. That is it. But then when we come to chapter 4, the Bible transitions or the Apostle Paul transitions by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to begin telling us what are the imperatives of the gospel, meaning what are the expectations that are there upon the life of those who call themselves Christians. And so it's one thing to understand what Jesus has done. It is one thing to have a clear grasp of what Jesus says. He says about us what he says that is that y'all are right back there because everyone looked at you so we're going to pay attention. All right. Glory to God. We're good now. All right. So ultimately, what happens is it's one thing to understand those things. We have a caring church. That's why everybody's like, oh, my goodness, do we need to run and do CPR or something? I don't know. But anyway, ultimately, it's one thing to understand those things. It's a, it's a totally different thing to go from the place of, man, I understand all this good stuff about myself, but now I'm going to live a certain way that reflects that understanding. I'm going to live a certain way that reflects those things. And so looking at your outline here, we're talking today. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24, which is what we went over last week, reminds us that Jesus is speaking to us directly through his messengers. Can you guys lower me just a little bit in the house? I feel like I'm a little bit too loud and I'm loud, all right? So I want to blow up here. Okay, thank you. And so through his messengers and that in him by grace, we must put on the new man which was created in accordance to God and true righteousness and holiness. And so what we realize is that when we are hearing, like right now, you are sitting down hearing the word of God. Thank you guys. Now you guys are sitting down hearing the word of God and you may be looking at me and you may be hearing the tone of my voice, but there is someone who is looking at you and who is speaking to you through me and he's speaking to you through his word and it is Jesus himself is literally communicating now listen this is not just only me this is whenever when we read in the earlier part like if you go back to there you see the apostle says if you were taught by Christ if you heard him and so when did they hear Jesus they didn't Jesus had died and resurrected and so physically they had not heard Jesus physically they had not seen Jesus but they were hearing and being taught by Christ. And it's the same thing whenever you sit down and you open your Bible and you begin to read the scriptures. It is Jesus himself through the power and revelation of the Holy Spirit that God is speaking to you and he is letting you hear from him. And when you are hearing, preaching, and teaching of the word that aligns with the scriptures, I'm not talking about when I give you my opinion on something. I am talking to you when I am communicating what the word of God is saying. Jesus himself is communicating to our hearts. And this is important to us because we talked about this last week, that we must learn to sanctify our time, set our time apart. When we are in the scriptures, when we are hearing the word of God, we need to be focused in on who Jesus is. And so not only this does he speak to us through his messengers, but by grace, we must put on this new man, this is in your outline, which was created in accordance to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I didn't deal with this part last week when we talked about true righteousness and holiness, but here righteousness and holiness point out to us two different aspects of our responsibility and our effort to walk worthy. 
Two different aspects, righteousness and holiness. And so you know there's, that when you look at the Ten Commandments, you have some commandments, like four of them are specific to God, right? They're just all about God, to love him with all your heart, to have no idols before him, not to use his name in vain. Those are all specific God word obedience, and God is calling us to that. But then the scriptures go to another part where it talks about honoring your mother, right, and honoring your father. That is honoring God, but that is now dealing with a horizontal relationship. And so it's our responsibility to other people. It says not to steal. It says not to kill. You know, it tells us things like that, not to covet, not to commit adultery. Those are horizontal relationships. And so when we're dealing with these two things, righteousness and holiness, they deal with two different aspects of us living in a life that walks worthy of the calling. Righteousness is being our moral responsibility with our fellow man. And so when we look at our righteousness, that is how we interact or how we deal with one another. And then the part of holiness is being our direct responsibility before the Lord in character, not just conduct. And so what we find are those two things is that God says he creates us according to God's character, according to God's nature, gives us this new life, and then he does what? Calls us to walk out this righteousness and our, and, and our responsibility with each other, but then also to live in holiness before God. In other words, God doesn't just want you to put on your Sunday best. Hello. He doesn't just want you to do a bunch of stuff that's good. He doesn't just want you to just do a bunch of things that, you know, look good on the outside. God wants you to be right on the inside. He wants our hearts to be right. He doesn't want us to just give lip service or to act like we are living for the glory of God. He wants us to truly and honestly live for his glory and his honor. And so we'll continue to look at, and this is the last line there in your outline, um, we will continue to look at how we flesh out or practically live out this righteousness and holiness in the remainder of this chapter. And so today's message is entitled, Sealed for Satisfaction. I think the big idea within here is what? It's what he says when he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been sealed until the day of redemption. And so each of us that is born again, each of us who is a believer in this place, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, God has put his seal, he has put his stamp upon your life with his spirit that dwells within you. And the most important thing for us to realize is that God seals us with his spirit so we can satisfy him, so we can honor him, so we can bring glory to his name. And so in all of our righteousness with others, we are bringing honor to God. But as well, we need to make sure that we realize that the ultimate goal is to bring glory to him in a personal way and a one-on-one relationship with him that we have. So the first thing that I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our obedience to the scriptures is relationally satisfying. Our obedience to the scriptures is relationally satisfying. And so verses 25 to verses 29, and we will look over those again together. So I'll read them from the top. It says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one one another. Be angry and do not sin. So the first thing was what? To put away lying. The second thing is be angry and do not sin. And then he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. This is still under the anger aspect, nor give place to the devil. And then verse 28 says, let him who stole steal no longer, so no longer can you be a thief. Glory to God. But rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something for himself. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? No. 
doesn't say that. It says that he may be able to what? That he may be able to give to others, that he may be able to give to him who has a need. And then the last one here is, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And so the result of a life that is changed by the gospel is a genuine concern for others and how we treat them. That's what the scriptures are talking about here, especially those of the household of God. The Apostle Paul gives us some clear direction as to what should and should not be practiced in our lives as we relate with one another. And so the first thing he says is no more lying. Stop lying to each other, right? So we are supposed to be what? We're supposed to be people of truth. We're supposed to be people who live the truth, people who love the truth, people who speak the truth. And so no matter who the truth may hurt, do we stop speaking it? Or do we continue to speak the truth? Now, ultimately, we need to make sure that we are speaking the truth in love, but sometimes people will say things like, man, I just love them so much. Time out. It's like I love my child so much, I'm not going to tell them no. They can just run out into the middle of the street and get killed because I love them so much. Is that a demonstration of love? Is that a good parent? I, I think not. You know, I think you would, your, child, your child would probably be taken from you if that's the kind of parenting that you were and someone found out, right? Because that's not really operating in love. You know, when our children are cute, you know, small and they're cute. And, and when they get older, they're still cute, I guess. But when they're smaller, you know, they're babies, glory to God. You know, my daughter's beautiful. I'm joking. It's a joke. <laughs> When they're small, small, you know, they, they're, 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 they're so innocent, right? And, they, and then you look at them and then you see, you know, situations where they're acting up and they really need to be corrected. And listen, I know we're all on different spectrums. Some people believe in pow pow, other people believe in time out. I, I know, I know we got those two groups up in here. I don't know which group you're in, but ultimately, right, it's, it's tough. You know, if you're the time out person, time out kills you, right? Because they're away from you, they're crying, they're screaming. If you're the pow pow person, right, then what happens? happens is then it, it kills you because they're near you screaming, hello, right? And so ultimately it's screaming, but we don't want to correct our child because they're so cute and we love them so much. But listen, if we love them, we will discipline them. If we love them, we will correct them. We will show them the truth. And so the scripture says, no more lying. He says, put away lying. He said, because you've been created according to God and righteousness and holiness, put away lying. No more lying. But speak the truth. Make sure that you're a person who is speaking the truth for, uh, to his neighbor. The next thing he says there is be angry and sin not. And so when he talks about sinning not, being angry. Now, first of all, let me pause for a moment. Because there are a lot of people that believe that being angry... I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you believe this. But a lot of people believe that being angry is sinful. That anger is somehow sin. And I want you to know that th that, that, that thought is completely contradictory to what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is not saying that anger is sin. Now, how do I know this? Not just because of this scripture here, but doesn't the Bible talk about God being angry? Speaks of God's anger, God being angry, so obviously anger is not sin because God cannot sin, right? That would make sense. The issue is when we become angry and then we sin, that is where the problem comes in. So when he says not to sin, that's that word hamashio in the Greek, or hamateo, I don't remember, I don't remember, I didn't write it down this time, but it's that word that means to miss the mark. We talked about that a few weeks ago when we were talking about sin. It means to miss the mark. And so what God is saying, he's saying, be angry, but don't don't miss the mark. 
Be angry, but don't miss the right motive. Don't, don't be angry about the wrong things. Don't get angry about the wrong stuff. Make sure that when you're angry, that your anger is motivated and expressed because the two places that we miss it, that we miss the mark in anger is number one, our motives for anger are wrong. Most of the time when our motives are wrong, it's because our anger has to deal with us. It's all about someone offending me. It's all about what someone did to me. It's all about how someone did me wrong. It's when, when, when that, 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 that's the wrong mindset. Now, mind you, you can be hurt. You can be offended. Something can happen wrong to you. But ultimately, your motive for your anger should be motivated by righteousness. When God gets angry, he gets angry because of sin, because of injustice. There are things. When you see someone hurting someone else, that should anger you. Now, should you go and shoot someone? Yes. <laughs> she did that for y'all. She's like, y'all got to wake up, glory to God. It's kind, of, it's kind of like, you know, and, and, and again, different people have different positions, but it's kind of like the people who in the name of Christ go and blow up abortion clinics with people inside. Now listen, that is full. You should be outraged at the murder of innocent babies. 100% if you're a believer, God is. But do you go and say, well, I'm going to take the law into my own hands and I'm going to go blow things up. And is, that, is that the right heart? That would be missing the mark in your anger. And so it becomes the same mindset when, 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 when the apostle Paul is talking here. And he gives you some other ways that we miss it. He says this. He says, be angry, do not sin. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now notice this is a different word. The word wrath, you're going to see it's used twice. Also the word anger is used twice within this, in this portion here. But when he says don't let the anger go, don't let the sun set on your wrath. Wrath is the result of being angry in an unrighteous way, right? What happens is when you're angry with the wrong motive or you're angry and you missed it, there are these emotions that start to rise up. It's that thing that won't let you sleep when someone offends you. Hello. Anybody ever had that happen to them? I know it's happened to me where I lay in the bed and I toss and I turn and I try to quote scripture and I try to, you know, be like I rebuke this demonic thing and, and I do all that stuff and I still lay there for three hours. Hello. <laughs> That's wrath. Because that thing is, and, and you start thinking of ways that you could, like, I want to have this conversation. You know the Holy Ghost said don't have the conversation. You know the Lord said leave that thing alone. But you're still trying to figure out, you know, you're, you're, as, as our sister Anna would say, I'm trying to find my loophole. Hello? I'm, I'm trying to find a way for this to happen. Like, what if the, and so that's that thing that begins to bubble up. But what does God say? He says, don't let the sun set on your wrath. Because when you do that, what happens is it's like this bubbling up, boiling over thing that when you go to sleep with that stuff, guess what? You wake up in the morning even more hardened, even more just overwhelmed and upset about it. But how do you deal with that? Well, you got to figure that out. So if I'm dealing with anger in the right way, then I'm not going to go off on someone. Hello? What I can do is I can communicate my offense. I can communicate how I was hurt. The most important thing that I encourage you to do, and this is the hardest thing, and, I, and listen, I confess this to you as being so difficult, but when I am successful at it, I have great sleep and my next day is wonderful. When I really get in with Jesus and I really confess how angry I am, and I really confess how bothered and how much I want to do A, B, C, and D. I don't know what that is for you. I know what it is for me. Hello. 
But I confess those things to him, and I meditate on him, and I allow him to calm my heart, and I, and I really lay it down at his feet where when I get up, I get up with the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, and then I'm able to rest in him. Now listen, notice what I said. This does not happen for me all the time. I'm going to tell you this. This is the difficult part. Because whenever we're angry and wrath begins to bubble up, you know what that wrath is doing? That wrath is creating a thing called justification. And so in our hearts, we begin to justify our feelings like, man, they should have never done that. They shouldn't have done it because of this. And, they, and we have all of these things that are going on. But if we can just meditate on God's word and we can say, you know what, God, I don't want to have this wrath in my heart because I don't want to be dishonoring to you. And I don't want to act out the wrong way in this anger. And then look what he says here in the next verse, verse 27. He said, and do not give place to the devil. Do not give place to the devil. Do not give opportunity to the devil is what that word means there. He says, don't give an opportunity to the enemy. And so what I do is when I'm angry and I sin in my anger and I allow this wrath to bubble up inside of me, and then what ends up happening is I'm put in a position where I can either give in to God's righteousness and the way I express my anger, or I give opportunity to the devil to do what? To bring offense and to cause. I mean, how many, and I'm going to ask you to show your hands for this so we can all confess. That's our sin together. How many of you have said things in anger that you wished immediately after they came out of your mouth you could take them back? Come on, raise those hands up. So every one of us needs to just be very conscious of the fact that we can easily give place to the devil. Now, I won't ask you to raise your hand for this, but I want you to think about this. Think about how many relationships you have damaged in an irreparable way because of you speaking out in anger. Because of you saying things in anger, giving place to the enemy. Or let's, let, let, let's flip it around. What about for those of us that, you know, I control my mouth, but I also close off my heart. Because I get angry, and then you know what I do? I mark you, and I say, stay away from me. We're not, nope, I, I'm not talking to that person anymore. Why was that? Well, well you know, because you're, because, see, you're different. You're different than me. See, I'm the type, I got to talk. Hello. That's why God made me a preacher, because I got to get it out. I can't just be sitting there. I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm, I am a deep thinker. My wife will tell you this. We're driving the car together, and we're driving down the road, and she's like, you're so quiet. I'm like, babe, I'm always quiet. Hallelujah. Except when I'm preaching, right? But ultimately, I like to think. But here's the reality. The reality is I'm the kind of guy I like to express myself to. I can't just, I cannot just keep it in. It, that, 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 for some of y'all, that works. But you know what happens? Some of you, you allow that wrath, the sun to set on that wrath, and the next day, you're smiling with everyone, and you'll see that person, but it's at arm length. There's no real relationship there. And so I can deal with, with anger in an ungodly way, vocally or silently. Hello. Think about that for a moment because when we think about dealing with anger in a sinful way, we only think about the vocal or the expressive part. But what about the non-expressive part? When I close off my heart and now relationships are damaged because of unrighteous anger. The third thing that he says here is he says no longer stealing. He says let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. And so in those days, whether you believe this or not, in those times stealing at the, in, 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 those, in those people's lives, it wasn't something that was looked down upon like so bad like it is today. People would steal and they did stuff because they need, because of the poverty that was there. And so they would do that. And so what the apostle says is you're a believer. And no matter what your situation is, stealing is not correct. 
Stealing is not okay. For some of us, you know, we have certain things that we feel like it's okay to steal, like it's okay to lie about certain things. Hello. It's okay to lie about time cards. I'm just saying, for some people, I've heard those horror stories, right? Someone else clocks in for you, and you're like, I'm going to be there in five minutes. No, you will clock in in five minutes. That's what you should do. What about our income taxes? Hallelujah, glory to God. Making sure that we're keeping everything legit, but we can be stealing there as Christians. So don't think you're off the hook just because, you know, we do look down on stealing in our days. But some of us, we have our justification of how we steal nowadays. So no longer stealing, but working what is good. And I love the text because the text is like, you know what? You should work what is good so that way you can give to those who have need. Instead of you thieving and stealing, instead of you taking, I want you to work so you can contribute to the needs of those. So that way other people who may be tempted to, to steal won't because what? Because you're blessing their life. And the last thing that he gives in this, in, in, in this line of, of thought is he says this in, in verse 29. He says, let no corrupt word, say no corrupt word. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, what does corrupt word mean? That word corrupt, this is what it means. It means rotten, worn out, unfit for use. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Let me ask you this. Is cursing corrupt? We are, we, 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 we're in a men's Bible study, and, you know, the question was asked, are you going to go to hell because you curse? And some of the men were like, I hope not. <laughs> and here's the thing. The thing is, it is rotten words that are coming out of our mouth that are dishonoring. It is words that are not fit for use. There are certain things that just should not come out of your mouth. Is it a heaven or hell issue? That's not the issue that I'm trying to bring up here. Listen, sin is sin. Sin separates you from God. And as we'll see in the next verse here, it's very apparent that sinning with our mouths does what? It offends the Spirit of God. And so what should happen from us is the words that come out of our mouth should be what? They should be words that are to build people up. They should be words that are truth-filled, but also grace-filled. Not just words that are truthful, not just words that are honest, not just words that express clearly what the truth is, but words that are also filled with grace so that way my words do what? They impart grace to the hearers. They impart grace to those people that are around me. And so, I, so not just cursing, but what about those bad jokes? Hello. What about those things that, you know, you laughed at because you thought it was funny? But then you had to think about who you're going to tell the joke to because it wasn't nice. Is that corrupt communication? How about, how, about, how about gossip? How about that? Are those things corrupt communication? Those are things that should not be coming out of our mouths. We should consider the words that are coming out of our mouth. And here's the deal, is that as we obey the scriptures, we bear the image of God more clearly. What happens is, when I am not lying, but I am being a person of truth, who am I reflecting? 
Jesus. When I am being a person who is not sinning in my anger, I'm not denying my anger, I am righteously applying my anger, who am I reflecting? I am reflecting God Almighty. When I am a person who is not stealing, but who is doing good and who is contributing to the needs of others, who am I reflecting? I'm reflecting the God who gives. When I am a person who is utilizing my words to bring edification to people, glorification to God, and impart grace to lives, who am I reflecting? I am reflecting the God who saved me. And so what happens is when you and I obey the scriptures, we more clearly reflect who our God is, and this is what happens. It releases the power of grace into our relationship with those who are in the body of Christ and those without. What happens is the grace of God is manifested more fully. The power of God is manifested more fully. And that's the reason why we experience deeper satisfaction in our relationships. Think about it like this. Husbands and wives in marriage. When a husband is loving his wives, and ladies, you can shout in a moment. When a husband is loving his wife, like she gave him the honeydew list, he didn't get an attitude, he was on it. Look, before she got up, he did the list and brought her lunch. Hello. Look, ladies, I gave you a praise moment right there. You were like, oh, you should have felt the Holy Ghost. I'm just saying. And so when, when, when he does that, does that not bring deep satisfaction to your life, right? Husbands, it's the same thing. When, you're, when your wife is operating in a submissive and honoring way to you, even in difficulty and difficult situations, does that not bring satisfaction? Why? It is because the grace of God is manifesting more fully into our relationships. And that's what we want to see. We want to see the grace of God. We want to see the power of the Holy Spirit manifesting in our relationship. But church, here is the truth. The grace of God is always operating. It is always operating. The difference is sometimes the grace of God is calling us to repentance and other times the grace of God is manifesting in our relationships in that positive way. And so what we need to do is submit our hearts and allow the Spirit of God to build us according to God's will and use us to bring satisfaction to our brothers and our sisters in relationships. Amen? The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our obedience... To the scriptures is not man-centered, but God-centered. Our obedience to the scriptures is not man-centered, but God-centered. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the way that it reads in the Greek is it literally says it like this. It says, And stop grieving the Spirit of God. So why is he saying to stop grieving the Spirit of God? It is because even though they were believers, there were certain things. I want, you to, I want to repeat this because I've said this before. God doesn't just say stuff just to say stuff. God did not inspire the Apostle Paul to tell these people to stop lying, to stop stealing, to stop letting corrupt words come out of their mouth, to stop sinning in their anger. He didn't communicate that to them because it wasn't happening. He communicated that to them because they were doing that. And the truth of the matter is, for some of us, those things are happening to us. We find ourselves lying. We find ourselves stealing in different ways. We find ourselves using corrupt words and speaking to people whom we should be loving. We find ourselves sinning in our anger. And so what happens is we must realize that the same way that they were grieving the Holy Spirit, so do we. They were grieving the Spirit of God. And so our obedience to Scripture is not man-centered but God-centered. The thing is this. I don't love my wife the way Christ loves the church just because of her. I love my wife 
the way Christ loves the church because I want to honor Christ. See, here's the thing, you get, and I hope, I hope this helps someone. People will always give you a reason to disobey God. Are you hearing me? People will always give you a reason to disobey God. Listen, I may be, and I, I'm going to say this, I may be the most amazing husband today, tomorrow, the next day. And you know what? The day after that, I'm going to drop the ball and give my wife all kind of reason to disobey Jesus. Hello. And if my wife focuses on me and my perfection, right, which is none, if she focuses on me as her motivation for obedience, then our relationship is going to be consistently looking like this. Why? Because I'm imperfect, and I'm going to fail her, and I'm going to upset her. But my wife has a higher standard to live by and a higher person to please than me, and that is Jesus himself. And so what happens is our obedience must be centered on Jesus, not on man. Your obedience, listen, the way that you work your job should not be motivated simply on the promotion you're going to get, on the increase that awaits you in your review. It should be motivated on one thing. I want to make sure that men see Jesus in my work ethic. That has to be my motivation. That has to be my driving because you know what? I've, I've worked, apart from um, before coming on full-time with the church, I worked in a job. I was working hard. I was doing everything that I needed to do. And when it came time to get my review, I got this ridiculously small raise. And you know what I did? All my work ethic went out the door. I stopped caring because what? I lost focus. This is after being a Christian. I lost focus. I was like, man, I'm not going to kill myself for these people. They're going to give me that kind of raise? No, that's not going to happen. But that was wrong. I, that, that was a sinful heart that was inside of me. That was prideful. That was arrogant because I should have realized, thank God that I have this job and I can bring glory and honor to Jesus in this. I didn't do that. And so ultimately, our obedience must be centered on him. Now, the heart of our obedience to the commands of God must be on God himself. David said something in Psalm 51 that messed me up for a long time because I just I couldn't stand what he was saying. But he said in Psalm 51 and verse 4, he said, against you and you alone have I sinned, O Lord. I was like, what, what, what planet is David on? I'm like, this guy committed adultery. This guy had someone murdered. And this guy was the cause of his son dying. And he has the audacity to say, against you and you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Until I understood something, David was saying, my greatest offense, my greatest trespass, my greatest sin was not against Bathsheba, wasn't against Uriah, it was against you, God. It was against you because I dishonored you. I dishonored your name. I dishonored who you are. And here's the truth. While we do sin against others, we must realize this. Understand this. No sin against another person is devoid of violating God's commands and clearly sinning against them directly. So here's the truth. If I sin against Wanda, guess who I sinned against simultaneously? God Almighty. I can't sin against someone without sinning against God. And who was the one that died for me? Did Wanda die for me? No, I didn't die for Wanda. The greater offense is that, that the sin that I committed to hurt my brother and sister, number one, my sin against, against who? Against God is what put Jesus on the cross. But here's the other thing. My sin against her, Jesus had to die for that sin to bring healing to her life. 
understanding the greater offense is against God himself. And so when we sin, he says this. He says, and stop grieving the Holy Spirit. And so the word that, that word grieve, it means to make sad, to cause to sorrow, or to offend the Holy Spirit by whom we have been sealed. We offend him. When we sin, in direct context, what, what was the preceding line, the preceding verse there? It said, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, right? And so in direct context, he's talking about words that we're utilizing. Realize this. When we lie to one another, that grieves the Holy Spirit. When we act out in anger, that grieves the Holy Spirit. When we use corrupt words, that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. We've been sealed with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is given to us as a deposit, and we should live our life for his glory and his honor. And yet, when we sin, we're doing what? We're offending him. We're dishonoring him, the one that we've been sealed with. And here's why this is so important. Because the more we grieve the Spirit of God, the more desensitized we become to his conviction of sin, which disables us from living consistently in a manner that is satisfying to God. You see, the more that I use corrupt words, the more desensitized I become to the Lord. The more that I lie and just get away with it, hello. The more that I do that, the more desensitized. See, because when I first used the corrupt word, guess what? There was something inside of me. Now, months, years later, man, I use that corrupt word and I don't even realize it came out of my mouth. But guess what? The same Holy Spirit that was there when you were using that kind of language, and again, it can just be harsh, mean, rude speech to people. When you do those things, man, you don't even realize that stuff's coming out of your mouth. You don't even realize your demeanor or your actions because what? Because the Holy Spirit's been convicting you, convicting you, and you've been ignoring, ignoring, ignoring. You tell that same lie all the time. The first time you told it, it really was like, man, that was tough to get it out. By the fifth time, it was normal. You were adding to the lie. Hello. And so for us, thinking about that, we need to be sure we're not grieving the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is what? what? He is the one that brings to remembrance the will and the purposes of God. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our obedience to the Scriptures is a reflection of our understanding of grace. Our obedience to the scriptures is a reflection of our understanding of grace. Grace isn't something that we should just know by definition in our heads, but it should be known in our lives as defining us. It is not enough to know the definition of grace, God's unmerited favor. It's not enough to know the definitions or the examples of grace, receiving that which you don't deserve. It's not enough just to understand grace from that perspective, but your life should be defined by grace. You see, what the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 31, he says this. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave us. So the Apostle recaps for us those things that are opposed to a life changed by grace and the virtues that should be prevalent in a life that is changed by grace. So what does he say? He says, putting away bitterness, putting away wrath, putting away anger. And what happens? Those things, right? We talked about anger. Anger is not sin. So obviously, when he's speaking of anger here, he's talking about anger that misses the mark. 
Because typically what happens is when I'm angry and it misses the mark, it produces what? It produces wrath. It produces that bubbling up. It produces those emotions that overwhelm us and overwhelm our thoughts. But here is the greater issue is that the result of that anger that turned to wrath then is bitterness. Because then we're stuck with this poison inside of our hearts. And so how does, that, how does that express itself? Well, some of us, we just shut down and we don't say anything. We don't do anything. We shut everyone out. We cut off relationships. But others of us, we enter into this next category, category called, called being clamorous. Hello. Being a person who uses this clamor. And what is this clamor? That word clamor literally means to outcry. It means to verbally express hostile emotions. And so what we do, well, you know what? I was angry, unjustifiably. I had this wrath rolling up inside of me, and then I became bitter, and then you know what comes out? All of a sudden now I'm this person who has this clamor. I'm having these outbursts. I'm always having to get it off my chest. Hello. I'm always having to do that. And so the apostle is like, put that away. But then the next thing, see this outburst, this hostile expression, this can just be something that's general. But then he goes on to say, putting away evil speaking. Because now it goes from being just a general, I'm angry, I can't believe they did that, I can't believe this is like that. But then it goes to being specific. Now I begin to speak evil of people. Now I begin to speak wrongly of people because of what? It usually starts with that anger issue. Moving to that wrath place, moving to that bitterness place, and then I become clamorous or I come to this place where I begin to speak evil because then I want to direct my anger towards someone. And it can all be umbrellaed under this one word, it's called malice. Ill will. See, when my heart is governed by sin, when my heart is overtaken by unrighteous anger, unrighteous wrath, the bitterness that is there, what happens to me is I become overwhelmed by those things, and then I become a person that is filled with malice, ill will. I'm not doing things for the glory of Jesus. I'm doing them for myself. And even worse, I do things to hurt people intentionally. Why? Because I'm hurt. Because I am going through some things in my life. But God doesn't want us to do that. He goes on and he gives us this list. He says, and be. He says, let all these things be put away from us. He said, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave us. A life that has been changed by grace will possess and demonstrate these virtues. The first one is kindness. You should think about this. Am I a kind person? The word kind, it means this. It means what is fit, fit for use, gracious, benevolent. Let me put it to you like this. Kindness is the opposite of harsh. It's the opposite of harsh. It's the opposite of being rough. It's the opposite of being insensitive towards people. And so what happens is, when I, when I, this is reflective of what? This is reflective of how I deal with people in general. So as a believer... As a believer, and all, and listen, everyone in this room is on a different spectrum when it comes to the kindness meter. Hello. Right? Because some of us are like super kind. Others of us are like, ah. You know, like Anna was like, sometimes she's like in the middle kind. Some of y'all are like, and I'm almost never kind. I'm just rough. I'm just harsh. You know, and so what happens is we need to see where we are on this because this is a virtue that as a Christian I should have. I should deal with people in a gentle, gracious, benevolent way. Like that should be something that is in general how I deal with people. But then the next one he says there, he says not just to be kind, he says, but be tender hearted. So see, kindness is a result of a heart condition. See, the word tenderhearted, it means compassionate. 
And so it is being, it is not just how I deal with people in general, it is how I feel about people. See, now we're getting deeper. Because it's one thing, see, I can learn to be diplomatic, right? I can learn how to, how to seem kind. I can learn how to do all kind of stuff. But now let's talk about how I feel about people. Let's talk about what's really going on. Like when someone comes with a problem, is my first indication like, oh, my goodness, not again. Or does something move inside of my heart? Or see, because that, 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 that's an indication of my heart. Am I tenderhearted towards where people are? When people are going through things in their life, what is really happening inside of me? Tenderhearted, compassionate, right? What I feel about people. So one is how I deal with people in general. The second one is how I feel about people in general. So we want to make sure we get to that place where we are tenderhearted because if we're tenderhearted, we're going to automatically be what? Kind. The last one, the third virtue, this is the one that's the most amazing of all. Forgiving. Forgiving one another. Say it with me. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. I love this, though. This is so awesome. As God did in Christ. He doesn't say, forgive like you want to forgive. That's an awesome scripture. He doesn't say, you forgive by your measurement of, for, of forgiveness. No. Forgive as, as, God, as God forgave you in Christ. First of all, let me give you the definition of this word forgiveness here because there's two different words used for forgiveness. One of them... It's not the one that's used here, and it means to release someone from a debt, which is what God did, right? God released us from a debt. But this word forgiveness here, it means to do a favor to, do something agreeable or pleasant to one, show oneself gracious, benevolent, to forgive in the sense of treating the offending party graciously. Oh, glory to God. So he doesn't say, just say, you're forgiven. No. Nope. Do something for them. Oh, glory to his name. Treat them in a way that is totally opposed to how you should feel or how you do feel. Treat them and do something. Look, you know, you see them in a need for something, get them that thing they need. But Bishop, they did that. It doesn't matter to me what they did. I know they did that. Now, let, let, let me pause for a moment. I'm going to say this in parentheses real quick because I just want to say that I'm not talking about, like, someone abuse you and go and, like, be a doormat. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? That's, I don't believe that's what God is talking about either. That's not the context here, okay? What it's talking about is in general relationship. When someone has maybe lied to you, like what we talked about earlier, when someone maybe took something from you, like they stole from you, someone did something to you. Now, mind you, I'm, I'm telling you, keep it in context. I'm not telling you like someone came and robbed your house, now you got to go find them. That's not what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about those types of things. I'm talking about like, for example, I, you know, I've told you all before, you know, my family was not the perfect family. And so I know of stories within the family. I won't incriminate anyone to tell you who did these things. But of one party going into their mom's room and taking something out of their mom's jewelry thing to go and sell it so they could get drugs. I know about that. And how did that mom respond to that? Well, that mom responded graciously and lovingly and they forgave them. They locked their jewelry box. And they locked the door where the room was, right? But they weren't going to be like, yo, I can't feed you food because you get the point? 
And so what I'm saying is use wisdom. But here's the thing. In relationships in general, when someone does something to hurt us, see, the first one is how we deal with people in general. The second one, tenderheartedness, is how we feel about people. The third one is how we deal with people who offend us. See, that is the real test if we understand the gospel. You see, when I really understand that I was born into sin, when I really understand that apart from Jesus, I was an absolute sinner that was on my way to hell, when I really understand the depth of my sin and I realize that because God is just and God is holy, he has to address sin. And the way that he does that is through judgment. When I really get that, that is something that puts trembling in my heart. And then when I realize that Jesus died in my place, So that way I would not have to incur the wrath of God, but he accepted the wrath of God in my place so that way I could have a right relationship with God and not just a right relationship with God, but I could have a total new name and new identity in him. When I come to that place of understanding, it is only then that I'll be able to offer the same grace to others that was offered to me. It's only then. See, some of us, we forgot what Jesus saved us from or... We never realize what Jesus saved us from. So I've heard people, they hear my testimony, and they're like, man, I don't have a testimony like Jason, but, you know, I, I grew up in church all my life, and, you know, I really didn't do anything bad. Listen, the little lie you told, that was what put Jesus on the cross. So don't look at, don't look at your sin as like, okay, well, I didn't really do much. I want you to realize your not so much put Jesus on the cross just like my so much. Because when you look at the consequence of the sin, it will help you to understand the depth of the sin. The consequence of the sin was that Jesus had to suffer for the smallest of sins, as we would call them, or the biggest of sins. He suffered equally for all of them because all sin in God's eyes is monstrous. And so we realize that de- when I understand the depth of my sin and I understand the greatness and the grandness of our, saving, of the, of our Savior's grace toward us, then when I am dealing with people who offend and people will offend, I am able to offer them real forgiveness that looks like the forgiveness that God gave us. So my closing question for you is this, is are you living to satisfy the commands of God? And before you answer that question, do your relationships reflect that? Are you living to satisfy the commands of God? And here's the thing. When Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment of all? What did he say? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, right? That's what he said. But then he goes on and he adds So the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. What was Jesus communicating? If you really love God, if you are really committed to fulfilling his will, then you know what it's going to reflect? In your relationships with people. That's why, that's why the apostle John said, look, you can't love God whom you haven't seen if you can't love your brothers that you can see. You know why he said that? He said that because all the people in the 21st century that were going to say, I love God, but don't want to love people. No, he was saying that because people back then were saying, oh, I love God, but they weren't loving each other. It's nothing new. 
Oh, I love God, but I'm not going to love you. I can't stand you. Listen, we need to repent of our sin. We need to recognize, and God, my relationships don't show that I'm reflecting you and that I'm really committed to serving and obeying you. And if you say that in this place and you're like looking at your relationships right here, I don't want you to feel condemned about that. I want you to feel convicted about it. And I want you to do something about it. And the first thing is to recognize that against God and God alone have you sinned. And your relationships that are looking horrible are because you've offended God. So the first thing is to recognize your sin against him. But the second thing that I really would encourage you to do is to, man, if you've got to write down a list, you have notes, we gave you paper. If you need a pen, we'll hook you up. If you need to write down those relationships and how you need to fix them. Who you need to apologize to. Oh, they offended me. That doesn't matter. Are you acting the way that God acts toward you, toward them? Stand to your feet and let's pray together. I want to ask you to bow your hearts, to bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. And just really, let, 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 let's, let's just really ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts this morning. Let's just really ask the Spirit of God to just deal with us. God has us here for a reason. And I know that there's some people in here, man, you have some people that you need to forgive. There's some people that you've been sinning with your anger. You need to repent of that. Some of you have been lying. I mean, there, there's, I know that there's things that God was convicting you about. And so we're all in this same boat together. We're all fallen. But the grace of God, the grace of God is enough. God's grace is there to strengthen us. God offers us forgiveness. God offers us the power to overcome those sins. God offers us the ability to forgive those who have offended us. God offers us the ability to be angry and not sin. God offers us the ability to be people of truth. Holy Spirit, we come to you right now. Your sons, your daughters. Search our hearts, God. Even as you've spoken to us today, Lord God, regarding your will for our lives, God, forgive us for lying. Forgive us for stealing. Forgive us, God, for corrupt words that we have thought are okay, Lord God, for corrupt communication. Father, forgive us for sinning in our anger, my God. Forgive us for letting our anger overwhelm our lives rather than your grace, God. Forgive us for being clamorous or forgive us for being those who speak evil. Forgive us for malice, God. Father, forgive us for being bitter, my Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray that you would help us to be kind to one another, that you would help us to be tenderhearted toward one another, that you would help us to forgive as you have forgiven us, God. Father, help us to be those representatives of yours that serve you faithfully, that are surrendered to you, Lord God, God, we surrender our will, our desires. And I pray that you would be glorified in the lives of every one of my brothers and my sisters here today. And Father, I pray for those in this place that do not know you, God, that do not have a relationship with you. I pray that they would recognize that today. And I pray that they would confess their sin. They would confess that they need you as Savior, that they would confess and that they would trust you 
as being the good God that you are that died in their place. Father, we thank you for this, and we pray these things in Jesus' great name. Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.